Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by Curtis Graves, Director of Product, and Jim Kershaw, Design Director at Grundens. Curtis and Jim share Grundens' design philosophy, discuss new and upcoming products, and share their refreshing approach to connecting with customers. If you want to understand what makes Grundens tick, this episode's for you. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And check out our Patreon community. It's a great way to support the show and our partners. We have everything from discounts on tying materials and guide trips to small group classes. And a shout out to this episode's sponsor. This episode's sponsored by our friends at Norvice, and their motto is, tie better flies faster. And they produce the only vice that truly spins. The Norvice team continues to rack up the miles. Next stops are the Fly Fishing Show in Pleasanton and the Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival in Mesquite. You owe it to yourself to drop by the Norvice booth to see the only vice that truly spends for yourself. Not going to be in Pleasanton or Mesquite? No worries. Norvice's entire 2024 show schedule is up on their website. Head over to www.nor-vice.com today to see if the Norvice team will be coming to a town near you. Now, on to our interview. Well, Curtis and Jim, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Marvin. It's uh, really exciting to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you guys on. And um, we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We like to talk about uh, having our guests share their earliest fishing memory. And I guess, you know, I'll kind of traffic cop this a little bit. I don't usually do uh, two-person interviews. I'll say Curtis go first and then Jim can go unless you guys want to change the order. No, that's, that works. Go ahead, Curtis. Okay. Well, um, my earliest fishing mem- memory, I think, I, I grew up in Eastern Carolina. And, uh, not, not far from, not far from you. Um, and, uh, my first memory was catching bluegill on cut hot dogs with my granddad. And, uh, it was pretty interesting when we had, uh, there was a dock kind of down near the house. It was like neighbor's property and there was a pond and we'd just go up there and, you know, like, like grab a, grab a hot dog, put it on a hook and fish it under a bobber. And, um, kind of from that point, never really looked back here. Here we are like 40 some years later. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's uh, pretty similar to me. I've got actually a picture here in my office of fishing for trout on a cane pole with my grandfather in the uh, the mountains of Virginia. And he's got one of those old school aluminum worm boxes on his belt. And he's wearing like, uh, we didn't call them wellies because they weren't that fancy back then, but basically uh, knee high uh, rubber boots. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. How about you, Jim? You know, um, that's a, it's a good question. I've, I've been racking my brain on it a little bit. Um, you know, I, I'd say probably my earliest was actually surf fishing. So surf fishing with my dad, um, and my brother really just out probably the most, I guess the area where I would think most is kind of out by Edisto Island. So I grew up in the Carolinas as well. Um, and just, you know, putting on blood worms or shrimp and just tossing it out there and hoping for the best, like trying to, trying to go, you know, at that time, you know, waist high for, you know, going into surf was like, it was treacherous. It's like, oh, I don't know if I can go any, any deeper than this. And you weren't really casting that far. Sometimes dad would cast for me, but just the excitement of just watching that, that rod just kind of, kind of hit a little bit and trying to determine between, you know, um, a wave and a, and a strike 
um, was just always awesome. And that's been a tradition. You know, we try to, we try to do, um, some surf fishing or get together ideally once a year and have been doing it since. And, and, you know, it's been awesome to be part of an industry that we love to, you know, do stuff outside, which is great. Yeah, it's always funny because I think, you know, people in the western part of the state, you know, it's always easier for us to get to the South Carolina coast than to like do that like eight hour drive oh, yeah. all the way out to the uh, kind of what is a kid growing up. I thought of as kind of the traditional part of the North Carolina coast, like Atlantic Beach and Emerald Isle and places like that. Um, and it's interesting, too, you know, I know both of you have slightly different paths on your in the way that you got to Grundens. And, you know, Curtis, do you want to kind of talk to us about kind of like, you know, how you ended up being uh, the product design guy at Grundens? Yeah. Um, I, well, back to back up on the bloodworms, I remember having a distinct fear of bloodworms as a kid. And, uh, we, we'd go down to Rudy Inlet and, uh, I, my dad had this, uh, Zebco stainless steel Zebco 33. I think he probably still has it, but it's, uh, I would not touch a bloodworm to save my life when I was a kid. Terrifying. Um, yeah. Terrifying. I was like, this thing can eat me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think on a journey, you know, I guess, um, I, so I guess to clarify, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, product director. I'm more of the strategy guy. Jim's on here because he's the design guy. He does, he does like all the hard work. Um, the uh, um, and I'll I'll let him cover himself. But I guess you know, like I, it, this goes way back to working in retail for me when I was, you know, I worked in the bike shop in college. Um, and like I really worked in a bike shop from the point that you could have a job, and I was old enough to like sweep the floor and um, put beach cruisers together. The uh, the I met. Uh, the Trek product manager at a, at a clinic one night, the rep, um, the rep, the rep brought in, uh, 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 the, the product manager for, for the, one of the bike lines. I can't remember exactly which line it was at the time, but likely it was like a mountain bike line or something. Um, but there was a chance that there was like, it was basically an eye opening moment of like, this was a job and like that you could do as an adult. And for people that worked in, in the industry, there was a path to get there. Um, you know, so I guess from that moment on, it was like, this is what I want to do. And, um, you know, I, I, I even changed my major to go get some background in like economics to like be a little more business savvy coming into this thing. And, uh, and from there, you know, it was like, just figure out a way in the ground floor at a company. And, uh, I started out answering the phones as a temp at Solomon, uh, in the ski industry, um, because it was fairly adjacent to what we'd been doing. And it was a, it was a, it was an open role. That paid, and honestly, it paid like twelve bucks an hour um, with no health insurance benefits. And the job uh, ran from November, or sorry, from October first uh, through April first, essentially. So it was like we knew that April first there'd be that you, you're out of work, but you had essentially six months to make a and build relationships. And uh, I guess from that point on, um, I turned it into uh, you know like basically a full time customer service job then into like the product role for the guy, you know, helping the product guys out by tuning skis and going to demos and just kind of, kind of doing the, doing the grunt work for a few years there. And, uh, um, the company relocated. And when the company relocated, that was kind of my, my in as a, as a product manager. Um, and, you know, I guess from there, uh, I, a little bit of a long way story, but it's, but it's relevant here. Um, I went to black diamond kind of from, from Solomon to get closer to the R and D process. Um, and then the door opened up at Sims fishing and in Bozeman, Montana, and it was like, Montana was on the table and a, and a product job in fishing. And it was like, wow, this is like kind of the stars aligning for like the, you know, like the, the, the foot into the fishing world. So that, that's, that's honestly where I picked up all of my apparel, you know, like experience. I'd been a hard goods guy all the way up to that point. And, uh, um, so, 
I put, uh, put a few years in, in Bozeman and, um, and then, you know, like I'd always known who Grundens was, you know, just from, you know, just from, you know, I guess the industry and, and also just kind of seeing their stuff on the coast. And, um, when, uh, I, when the, the crew at Grundens reached out, it was really interesting, you know, like, wow, they, these guys are building a, a sport fishing collection. They, there's an opportunity to come land at this brand and go build something. And I was beyond stoked, you know, to, to go take that opportunity to jump on board and, and, you know, like, and basically take this brand from, you know, where it was. And, you know, we've tripled the business almost since 2017. Um, when, when I joined the company. Yeah. And so you left probably what, about three or four years before the Vista acquisition of Sims? Uh, well, that's, I mean, I guess closer to like five. Um, okay. I guess that, I guess the, like I've been, I've been at, at Grudden's five, six years just that last month. Um, and I think, you know, that, that deal went down last year. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like the, like you, when you work inside of a company, you're, you're really acutely aware of what's happening. I think from, you know, like from, you know, potential transactions and, you know, you're always trying to get things in shape, right? Like it's, you know, like your tasks, you like our job is tasked with the health of the business. So like we have a little more visibility into, um, what's going on in the long haul or like kind of the bigger picture behind the scenes, uh, with, uh, with, management and just, you know, general and generally just kind of how companies are funded in, you know, in the back end. Yeah. Very, very neat. Kind of, if you got to talk about blood worms, I'll tell you that my first mountain bike was a Trek 930, uh, nice. that I bought with a, uh, I think that probably my first tax refund for my first real job out of school, I went and bought that bike. So <laughs> that's awesome. yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. There's, Jim, some kid, there's some kid out there that put that thing together, you know? Yeah, well, it's still hanging in my garage, and then I uh, I graduated to uh, to a LeMond road bike, which I barely rode because I moved from Atlanta to Charlotte and was afraid I was going to get killed in the traffic. So, um, but uh, but Jim, how about you? How did you uh, make your way to Grundens? Yeah, yeah, that's a good. Um, you know, it's I guess kind of in in some ways a little a little similar of of trying to navigate my way. So, um, you know, I went to school up in Boo at Appalachian State. I had no idea what I wanted to do up there. I love to fish. Um, kind of went up there initially for sports, tore some ACLs and and decided to this time to focus on a career. So I ended up um stumbling into this major called industrial design. And that industrial design, I really just wanted to take metal shop and blacksmithing. And it was like, in order to take this class, you need to pursue this major. And I'm like, cool, great. Um, so it was really about, you know, there it was kind of this cutting my teeth on what design was um, from a traditional sense. You know, Appalachian State's very good at in, in, in a furniture sense of school. And during my time, they're kind of some of the guinea pigs of, of first coming out for product. And I had, uh, we had a little bit more of a sponsored studio program with Irwin Tools, which was based out of Huntersville um, at the time. And that turned into an internship, which turned into a full-time role, which got me cutting my teeth in hard goods from a design standpoint, but also focusing on tradesmen and, um, you know, the construction environment. So it was all about durability. It was all about performance. It had to live in nasty conditions and it was all about field research. And that kind of, that experience there kind of influenced how I approached things, um, all the way down, down the spectrum. So 
spent time there and realized like, you know, I've got a passion for the outdoors. I've, I don't know how many jackets I have. I don't know how many backpacks I have, but there were a lot and there still are a lot. And, um, I knew I wanted to get into that, but I couldn't. sew. I didn't really know much about fabrics at all. I couldn't tell you the difference between a nylon and a polyester or what a, a, a woven versus a knit was. And so this opportunity came up to move to Baltimore, uh, to work for a brand called STX for lacrosse and ice hockey gear. And it was a great opportunity to blend what I knew from hard goods and creating durable gear with learning how to do soft goods. Um, and so I, I focused mainly on protective equipment there for a few years for both, uh, STX and Nike. And it was a great way to kind of cut my teeth into soft goods. And then from there, um, I realized, Hey, this is great, but I didn't play lacrosse growing up. I played soccer mostly and, and some football and realized I wanted to kind of get back to something I really enjoyed from a, a, a rude standpoint and kind of found my way all the way up here in, in Vermont at Orvis. Um, and it was a great time to, to join the crew there. You know, we built a lot of, a lot of great stuff and I, it was really where I kind of to Curtis's point where I really picked up on some of the more technical elements of let's say, you know, construction and, and waiter and, and jacket and footwear and all that sort of stuff. Those, and I had a really strong passion for that. But then, you know, through that, spent my time there. And then, you know, with similar to what Curtis mentioned, there's this opportunity at this brand that was, you know, it kind of combined the two ends of my spectrum, at least from, from the career path. It was developing this really hardcore rugged gear for people that work at sea and that work on the water. And then also the passion for fishing, uh, which I loved growing up. And it was something, it was an opportunity to build something special. And, you know, with that is just kind of how I think I, I ended up here. And I look at it from, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I can't explain it really any other way other than it was, it seemed like the right time, the right opportunity to go build something special for a new brand, let's say in fly, but you know, with almost a hundred years of, of heritage and just grit, you know, from whether you're watching deadliest catch or something like that, or, or no commercial fishing, it was really cool. So that's what, that's what brought me here. I've been here for going on almost two years. So still fresh. Yeah. It's very neat too listening to your stories about, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because I've talked to other people that have kind of gotten into roles like yours or similar roles in the industry. There are not a lot of them. And it's always amazing, like how you have to be really determined and grinded out. It's kind of like, it reminds me of like getting rebounds in basketball. You just got to keep staying around the rim um, and, and be relentless about it. Absolutely. It, it's very intentional. And I tell, and I tell people that all the time, you know, like, a, like, you know, like we're, we've actually posted a, posted a category manager role over the weekend. So like my inbox is going to be blowing up here kind of in this next week, but you know, like the, I mean, I guess if anybody that's applying for that job is listening to this thing, it's, you know, it, it it's intentional and, um, it, and you know, and it, it's, it's not something you just kind of accidentally find yourself doing one day. It, it for sure is like, wow. Like you have to be, you have to, you have to be really, I think just engaged with like wanting to do it. Cause it, 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 there's a lot of hours and it's, I mean, there's a lot of work and a lot of meetings and a lot of like, 
um, you have to be really comfortable with failure. You know, I think, and that that's, that's been the biggest part of like, a, you know, like a, you know, the, the kids that I've seen come into this, this role or the younger folks that are younger in their career, the ones that have gone on to be wildly successful are the ones that aren't afraid to fail. And, um, and, and not, they don't see their failure as actually like a personal failure. They see it as a, as a, you know, a part of the process that, that like actually makes better product in the end. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. Cause I, I have a 21 year old and a 15 year old son and I'm always coaching them to learn how to fail faster. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, Curtis, it sounds like you were kind of at ground zero when, you know, Grund has decided to enter the fly fishing space. You, can you speak a little bit to kind of, you know, the opportunity that they saw in the industry and kind of the problems that they wanted to solve? It, yeah. And, and I'll back up even one level on that and say, go a level higher of sport fish. And, um, you know, the, our, our brand launched into sport fishing in 2015 and, you know, and I would say, you know, it was a, it was a pretty rocky start to that category, you know, like, and, and, you know, it was, and I, and I, and I attribute that to, you know, like the, the head of the product team was also the owner of the company and he, uh, he had a commercial fishing background. He was in this business because he loved commercial fishing and he also sport fished, you know, I think like his hobby was to, you know, go down to Ba and spend a ton, ton of time fishing down there. And he saw the, he would, he saw the opportunity to take the brand. It was, it was, it was like an owner of the company saying, Hey, I want to invest in this path, but I don't really truly know how to do it. Um, and you know, he was, he, Mike was for sure, uh, uh, in it, like he, like if he, if he didn't know how to figure it out, he was going to, he was going to pick it up and carry the company on his entire back to get there. And that, that was just his style and the way it worked. And I think, you know, we're, we're better off for those first few years in sport fishing today. Still, we learned a lot as a brand and like, and I think we're still learning a lot as a brand on like how, how to nuance this brand in, in that space, uh, around, you know, like when, when we, you know, I just came out of a, I came out of a strategy session last, last, I guess, what was it last Wednesday? And we put, uh, we put it like up on the board. We put, you know, like we, we win when we do Grundon's right. We fail when we chase competitors. Um, and that, that's kind of become like, and it, and it got actually thrown up in an all company meeting. And I was like, wow, that I didn't realize that that had some, like was so sticky around here, but, but yeah, I mean, I think like just trying to, trying to understand what it is that the consumer like it, and it really truly isn't about us going into sport fishing. It's, it's, it's the consumer wanting that product from Grundon's that has to be consumer centric, consumer led, like shrink, like fundamental shifts like this. Otherwise you're going to spend a lot of money and you're going to, you're going to fail. Um, the, uh, so, uh, you know, there were a lot of people that did believe in us as a brand. There's a lot of crossover, I think from guys that have worked in the Bering Sea to, to folks that, that take, they'll come out of, they'll come out of Alaska with a pile of cash in their money and they're going to go live in Mexico for a little bit and they're going to fish the way they want to fish. Um, and you know, I think like the, the heritage there for sure kind of led, led us to a, you know, there was a path forward for us in sport fish and that was around building rugged, durable goods, um, and building, you know, like just enduring lasting products that, that people could get out of value. And it really kind of resonated with the, the blue collar angler in a lot of ways. Um, since then we've tried a lot of paths, a lot of different price points, a lot of different solutions and like what tips typically has, has been six, the products that have been successful for us are the ones that kind of check the boxes around rugged, durable, um, really great price value relationships and, you know, and a meaningful product for the consumer. Um, and, and I, I guess the, you know, like we were selling, you know, like we had, we had rainware, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, I would say pinnacle product in the market that we could go and, you know, put out in the marketplace and realize that this was the best product that, 
that there that we could possibly produce and it was rather expensive for what it was um so we engaged Gore-Tex uh, as, you know, that was like one of the kind of the first jobs that I, I had here at the company back in 18 was to, is, was to build a, a proposal to Gore and go get a trademark license. Um, and at, at Gore-Tex, you have to be licensed as a brand to be able to purchase the, the laminates and work with a, a certified factory. Um, we launched the Gore collection in 2019. Um, and uh, and that, that was really like it kind of that was the moment where there was everything before the Gore launch and everything after the Gore launch. Like it was a, a true inflection point in the business and sport fish for us. And it really got a lot of, I would say it got a lot of eyes on the brand. It was able, it enabled us to engage new ambassadors and new pros. Um, it, it enabled us to open up new dealers. Um, and kind of at the same time we launched foot, we, we, we basically expanded footwear into sport fish. So it was like a one, two, like punch into the market. Um, and I would say that the, that the Gore launch and the footwear launch, opened up enough doors and opened up enough new dealers and enough new buyers eyes on our brand that the, that the request started coming of like, Hey, like you guys build great product. You build bibs, you build Gore-Tex jackets. We want a waiter from you. And, you know, and I was, I was the last one that wanted to go build a waiter. Like, honestly, I was like, guys, like we, we would have, we have these product roadmap meetings and strategy sessions and uh, waiters, waiters were talked about for, you know, for, for four years before we ever launched them. Um, and it definitely turned into, for me, it turned into like, Hey, like, let's get this right. Like, like let's not race into this market. And, um, I think Jim and I know enough about making waiters to know that it's like that the quickest way to fail in business is to go make waiters. Um, and, uh, and we, we needed the, we needed, I guess we needed the momentum. I like, and I, and I held, I guess intentionally held the launch back of waiters until I felt like that, we had there's you know there there was a tipping point I think around around number of a number of dealers that were on board and a number of dealers that were asking and I would say just you know also just a general level of frustration with the competitive set out there that we were that we would have to go we knew we had to go take somebody somebody off the wall in every single account and that's a that's a hard proposition you know to think to walk in and say all right this waiter is the best waiter in the market and what I need from you is to take one of those slots on your wall and give it to us and, and I'll prove that we'll perform there. Um, so that, that, and, and there's a, there, I would say there's a lot of accounts that we're all in on that out of the gate and we're still making that request, you know, to a lot of dealers out there and, you know, and, and it's a, it's a hard proposition some days for some accounts, you know, to see the, like, and the whole idea here is that we need to be accretive to the business. We don't want to come in and divide anybody's like revenue up by another skew. We need to be, you know, we need, we need to show up, we need to perform and we need to prove that our waiter like resonates with the consumer and sells through. Um, but, but I, yeah, I guess like at the end of the day, you know, like it, it truly was a, it was a, it was a dealer led initiative for us, like where we were getting the, the requests were loud enough and frequent enough that we, um, we decided to kick off a, like an R and D project in waiters. Yeah. That's super interesting. And as I hear you talk about that, I can certainly hear kind of the, the commercial fishing background of the company kind of coming through in the design philosophy about, you know, uh, durability, value driven. Cause I mean, these are blue collar guys out there making their money on, you know, crab boats, fishing boats. And, you know, you know, if you can get them something that doesn't cost $2,000, that would be great. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the plan. And, you know, to that point from a, you know, design philosophy standpoint and, and hearkening back, like our core is, commercial fishing and we want to continue and, and that 
we kind of run everything through this, this filter of sorts and, you know, always ask the questions of why, you know, why is it important that Grundens has this product? Why are we making this? Like, why are we being asked for this? And, you know, we have to check ourselves often, you know, and, and to, to your point earlier, you know, it's about failing fast, um, and making sure that, you know, we have something that we can be proud of. It's all, and what we try to do as well is, you know, we think of it more of, it's not necessarily timeless, but creating product that we know is going to outlast and outperform. Um, and, and that's, you know, running everything through that filter, checking, not afraid to push it off to Curtis's point earlier, you know, and, and making sure that, you know, it checks the box of, you know, really being, uh, rugged and durable enough, but also approachable. Um, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's easy to design the really high end expensive stuff. You want a $2,000 waiter? Sure. No problem. I can make that. It's the, it's the product that comes at that perfect balance of performance and value. Uh, that's the hard stuff. Um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add there, Curtis. Yeah. I mean, a, a $1,500 waiter would be a fun project. I mean, it, like if, the, like if we could go build spaceships, like with, yeah. you know, with, with government money on it, uh, that would be fun. <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it is every, every single detail is considered around how much does it cost? Um, and how much, how, and, and I, I've pushed, the, you know, I guess I pushed the development team a lot around, you know, like there's a lot of great ideas, like in a, in a design, I guess just in a, in a design process of, of any product. Um, the the question comes down i mean the question that we all kind of have to hold ourselves accountable to is like does that add value for the customer and and in a lot of ways it's like a cool looking you know a cool feature that's like yeah that's like really innovative or very unique but is it something as an angler that i believe that the customer needs or is going to make the angling experience better or somehow help you catch more fish or stay you know stay out and fish in worse conditions um, and unless you can answer those questions, it's like that, that feature has to come out and, um, you know, and, and I, I'm, it causes a great source of frustration with the team sometimes. But I mean, I, I do think that like when you, when you, when you get everybody pulling in the same direction around, Hey, we're, we're building consumer centric products here. And like, we're like these, this is not art you hang on the wall. This is like a functional, you know, this is a functional piece of gear that you need to put on your body and go fish with. I think it really starts to, to resonate. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I've got some stuff. If you could see uh, to my left, I've got like my tying table and all my video stuff. And, you know, I have a handful of products that I would say are solutions looking for problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and it's like, you're kind of cool, but like you look at it and you're like, gosh, like, I just don't understand the use case for this, you know? Yeah. Um, That happens often. Yeah. we're we're really prescriptive with that though. I think, you know, like we have a guy, you know, the, the briefs I alluded to this morning were like I owe Jim those this week. Um, we like like Jim and I work closely together in identifying who the customer is at it, like from when when an idea goes into paper, before we ever spend a single dollar on it other than our, you know, th- than our time. Um, but, but when an idea goes on paper, it's like, who are we building this for? Um, what problem? are we intending to solve and why does the customer need that from us? And that's the important one because like, like we're, we're, I don't want to go build products that exist in the market today. Cause like, I know, I know as a, you know, if I was a, a retailer holding my open to buy dollar back and, 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 and I've got to, if I've got to, you know, whatever it is on the wall that's performing for me and putting money in my register, then I, I don't want to stop doing that and go do something else just because it says grunted on it. You know, I, I, I want this to be like every single product that we produce has to solve a problem or bring a, a unique value proposition 
to to the buyer at a retail store and ultimately to the customer. Yeah, very neat. And you mentioned earlier that you know you were kind of waiting for the kind of some pent up demand uh, to embark on the the waiter project. Um, you know, how long did it take you to bring the boundary waiters to market? Well, uh, well, I, I, there was a. I guess we went. There was one day, and it was specifically mid June of 2021, um, where we went from we went from talking about making waiters to making waiters, and and it was really specific. Uh, and it was a board meeting. And, you know, like that's a point, that's a point where like folks at, at Jim and my level of the company actually get to interact with the guys that, that own the company and, and, you know, have real skin in the game through financial investment and, you know, like senior leadership, they interact with those guys like daily, once a week, whatever. Um, we, we get these moments of, of, of board meetings that where we get to like, you know, like we, that we're requested to show up, show what's in your pipeline, talk through the next, like, like talk to the next 18 months of like innovation. And, um, it was, I remember a very specific directive, you know, it was like, Hey, it's time to make a waiter guys. And we had, I don't know. I mean, I had like 24 hours to go put a plan together on what, how much money we needed to kick off this project. And it, it wasn't like starting from scratch, right? Like, it's like, I've been thinking about this for years. I knew kind of what we needed to do. Um, we just kind of got green lighted on it in a, in a, in a, we got green lighted on it on a Tuesday. And by Wednesday, we needed to have a really concrete, well thought out plan. So. Uh, that was a long night and um we came back the next day at the you know day day three of the board meeting and presented a presented a roadmap a strategy and a plan and um asked for more money than i thought we needed um because i didn't want to go back and ask twice and uh we kicked uh we kicked that project off and i would say within the next 60 days we had you know we had design firms engaged this is prior to jim working here um so i was i was kind of flying blind with a designer at the time uh we had a design firm that made a lot of our apparel but um, we wanted to go, you know, truly build, truly engage somebody that could, you know, could get into the engineering side of um, these laminates and uh, the engineering side of like the design of waiters. And ultimately, that that waiter project is the way that we were able to engage Jim. You know, it was like, like yeah, the right the right order of operations would have been like, hey, we know in six months we want to go build a, we want to start a project, so we're going to go hire the right designer to join the team, and uh, we for sure were like. We had, you know, carts pulling horses for a little bit there, but it, it all worked out great. Yeah, it's like I say, you build the car while you're driving it, right? Yeah. Well, well this one's more like trying to trying to fix an airplane while you're flying it, because if it crashes, it's way more of a like like it, it, there was no there was no chance of failure because I knew that like credibility, like the product team's credibility was on the line on this one, and when you and and hard work gets rewarded with more hard work sometimes, and that was you know like. That was, that was a moment of like, hey, we've got to go get after this and we got to get it right. We have one shot to launch these waiters. We can't fail. Yeah. And it's interesting because I guess I first saw them, it would have been probably last June at um, an event that Davidson River Outfitters had, right? And uh, Bob Clowers was there. And, you know, I'd known Jeff Furman for a thousand years because he'd been a guide with, uh, with Kevin and uh, really got a walkthrough. And I think, you know, you know, it's interesting because you can talk to a lot of people in the industry and you guys probably have this experience too. And you can tell who knows what time it is and who doesn't. And mm -hmm. like walking through what you differentiated in your product design was really impressive to me about like thinking about the problems. And, you know, I thought it'd be interesting if you guys kind of walk through those. Cause I mean, I, you know, I don't think everyone's had a chance. I mean, if you, you know, we're halfway through show season, so people have gotten a better chance, right. To put their hands on the waiters, but 
you know, there's just so many things. And I don't know if Jim, you want to speak to this, you know, and I kind of, you know, off the top of my head, I think about like the repairability issue. Yep. Uh, you know, I'm a big guy, right? I'm six three. Um, so mobility is awesome. The suspension system's amazing. You know, the fault process and the gravel guards, all that stuff is awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it part of I think behind building this assortment in in general and in, in waiters is really trying to future proof it. Um, you know, our developer Kristen Chandler, she did an amazing job. Um, working on on really getting that movement out of the waiters. And we wanted to make sure that that translated throughout the whole assortment. So I'll kind of touch base on some of the DNA and then we can hop back to boundary, um, you know, specific features. But to your point, you know, it's, we wanted to make sure that if you if you fit into a boundary or a vector or a bedrock that you're getting the same fit. You know, I think, I think that's something that um, can get missed um, with, with other brands in the market right now of, of just, you know, changing patterns, changing fit just a little bit, tweaking it here and there. And you don't necessarily know what you're getting, um, between the previous waiter that you add and, and the new one. And so, you know, we focused big time on mobility, uh, making sure that you can get in and out of boats up and over logs, um, making sure that you didn't have any issues or binding regardless of the material laminate thickness. Um, the repairability is a huge one. You know, um, I guess, you know, we all know that, you know, within the industry, there's waiters that leak and waiters that don't leak yet. And, um, we really wanted to build this from a future proof standpoint to say, Hey, you know, we've got this repairability program based in, uh, Seattle and then also based in the Carolinas and with the ability to kind of send it in for repair, um, whether that's a patch, um, you know, let's say you puncture your booties. That's a big one that we wanted to focus on is having modular neoprene booties. Um, so we have this nice gusset down there that actually allows it to articulate on its own, reducing the stress along those seams. But it also allows us to be swapped out. And, and you know, really the thought process behind that is to keep you on the water longer. But also, you know, a lot of times you'll see that Let's say you get a hole in your booties or something happens to the neoprene on the booties and you get swapped out a waiter. You know, we want to, we want to make sure part of this whole initiative to building durable product. And then also the sustainability aspect is just keep your gear out there. It should be a little bit more of a badge of honor. It's interesting that it's not, you know, you look at, let's say climbing as an example or anything outdoor ski, snow, um, and you know, you get a patch on your jacket and it's like, wow, that's cool. You, you really wore that thing and fly fishing. It's not the case. It's like, oh man, those are beat up. I need a brand new pair. And we have to shake that as a, as a mindset within the industry. And so I'm going off a little, I like tangents. So I'm going a little, little off there, but, um, you know, repairability is important. We partnered with some amazing, uh, neoprene out of Japan. Um, companies called Yamamoto. They built some of the best triathlon suits. Um, in the world. And we, we work with them on this, um, titanium alpha neoprene that kind of cascades throughout DNA. So, um, what that does is it helps regulate the temperature inside of your booty, keeping you warm, keeping the cold out by using two different titanium layers. And so you've got warming neoprene booties that solve a problem, right? Feet, cold feet, they kind of suck. You go in there, you've got ice blocks, you're, you're on the water less. Um, we wanted to solve for repairability. So we have that with different, not only how we launched this waiter with, um, 
you know, two different centers and the partner that we're working with there, but also through, you know, the repairability with the, the, the booties and how we're thinking about the construction from a suspender standpoint. And then, um, you know, mobility. And those are three kind of DNA features that kind of cascade throughout all of it. Back to the boundary, we also really wanted to focus on suspension. Um, and I'll actually let Curtis kind of hop in on this one, but it was really inspired from uh, a climbing harness construction. Um, and Curtis, you kind of lead, lead the charge a little bit on the, the construction of that and how that kind of cascaded through. Yeah, the, the, I guess the harness design, the suspension system design that we, we built in here, I, I mean, I guess that came from my personal frustration with everything I'd ever fished in. Um, I thought that there, I thought there was an opportunity to really, you know, to innovate in an area that was probably the most important point of contact with the body. And, you know, like beyond, beyond like getting your pattern right, having mobility built into like the way that the, the waiter, the actual waiter itself articulates um, the, the one, the one piece of this thing that you're in contact with all day, and it really has consequences for how the waiter fits your body as well as how it fits with your layering system, your shell, and the fact that most anglers fish with some form of a pack, either backpack, sling pack, or, you know, or, or even, you know, a, a lumbar pack or slung over the shoulder. So it's like, like it, it just really wanted to get kind of that part of it really right and it really like saw it as like i guess that was the chance to really innovate you know beyond you know like you know, gore-tex does their innovation you know kind of really in a silo you know like their r&d team um that like the, like they give us a proven landmine and there's no there's no like second guessing that but but i think like with our ability to like the things that we could focus on in this to to really make a massive difference around how the consumer Per, per, the consumer perception of comfort was really going to be, you know, in the suspension system. Um, and it's also kind of in the belt loops where those are placed. It's in how the, um, it's in a lot of the details of where those seams land on the body um, are really around, you know, like um, there's a lot, a lot of like, I guess just like fit theory that went into, it went into the entire kind of top to bottom system there. But, the, um, but yeah, we, we took, we bought a couple of climbing harnesses and we cut them up to see kind of what was going on on the inside, you know, you know, having worked around, the harness world for a little bit things had things had changed a lot in the last 10 years um and uh and just really understanding how like we thought that the climbing harnesses were being constructed at a factory so it was like hey, let's take this apart to understand how they put it together and then try to replicate that um in a in a very opposite way so like we you know the climbing harness is very static it's designed to hold your body weight in a fall um we needed something that moved with you and be more dynamic. So um, we flipped the script on a couple of materials that are on the interior of it. And uh, um, and really it was about like, hey, how how can this thing be constructed essentially inside out and then turned into its final final form? And it was a and it was more of an exercise of like trying to instruct a factory how to build something that they had never even seen before. Um, but yeah, I think I think we got it right in a lot of ways, and and I also um, the ability to really place that suspension system fore and aft, up and down on the body was really really unique and um, not something that that another that not something that had ever been solved for in a pair of bibs or waders or any kind of lower garment ever in in the world. Yeah, it's amazing because I mean I know you know uh, you know when you feel hunched over at the end of the day because you basically had like kind of traditional suspender straps yanking on you. Um, it's, it's an amazing thing. And I would say too, from a thoughtfulness perspective, I was blown away at the Kevlar gravel guards, right. And the thought process about how that eliminates stress on one of the major leak points and the kind of the, where the waiter joins the booty. 
well, I guess to back up, we're, we, we're not kept, we, we were testing a Kevlar gravel guard early on. Um, it was so cost prohibitive that we couldn't pull it off. Um, so we, that this, and we actually found a, a way better material, um, in there. So it's a, um, the, the stretch woven that's on our pocket as well as on our gravel guard, um, material comes from a supplier that I've worked with for the better part of a decade. They're, they're our best supplier that we work with because they're always willing to innovate for us. And we threw the, we threw the problem on the table of, Hey, we want to take this stretch woven. We want to submerge it, you know, for, for eight to 10 hours a day. And it's got to hold up against the following like list of gremlins out there that are trying to take you down. And, uh, and they kind of laugh for a moment and ran with it and we got a great material. Um, and, uh, and, you know, on the testing side of things, you know, like we use, uh, we, we use like, you know, a Martindale is a kind of an industry standard, um, test fixture. We like, we use the Martindale and we use uh, the Tabor to test a lot of, a lot of our, the Tabor is like a tiny record group record player. That's abrasive. Um, and, uh, and you know, like, Typically, like, you know, 20, 25,000 cycles on a Martindale is, is, you know, it's, it's kind of getting there. It's not quite, you know, what we need, but it's a, it's a, it's at least a step in the right direction. We, uh, we ran that, um, we ran that gravel guard to 200,000 cycles and shut the machine off and said, I think we got a winner here. Um, so, so yeah, like just having a, you know, like when you're, when you're at the, when you're at a list of five or eight textiles that you're trying to, trying to whittle down to two and you want to do an AB field test, um, that's the like that. I mean, like you, you kind of have to fail fast in a lab. Otherwise, you're going to be field testing forever. And you might miss something. So, you know, it's like and to to this day, our field test waiters are still out there. You know, I think that's a that's a unique thing. Like we got we've got a number of field test waiters that from that initial field test that are still going strong. Um, and, you know, like like asking it, asking a, a field tester to test to failure, um, especially when the new waiters are in the market you know, they're like, when can I get one of those? I'm like, when you break the ones you got, you know, you can have them. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of, I guess a lot of the, you know, like maybe I'm probably jumping into the test side of this thing too fast, but that's, I guess a little more of the process behind the curtain. Yeah, no, it, it's super neat. And my understanding too, is that material is a lot less grabby than neoprene. So those days of like wrestling with dropper hooks and things like that, are maybe a little bit behind us. Well, you can still snag a hook in it. Um, uh, uh, the, like the, our head of sales got a steelhead hook, a uh, steelhead fly hooked in his. Um, and it turned out uh, that thing might have had a barb on it. Uh, no, I don't. I'm, 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 I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, we, like we, we pick like he got a good snag out of it. I was like, hey, buddy, like, like that's not a barbless hook. Um, but, uh, but he, he swore it was. And I, you know, I trust him. He's a good guy. But, uh, but like we, yeah, when we go through, um, the field testing, a lot of that stuff shows up, you know, and, and, uh, it's, the, and I do agree, like a lot of the kind of the, like everybody in the world out there, I guess the two problems that I saw with, with gravel guards were one, one was like, if you're a shell fabric and you hop out of the river, it's like a bucket on your ankles and it fills the, it fills the drip boat up pretty quickly. And by the end of the day, you got like, you know, you got at least 10 or 15 gallons of extra water floating around on the bottom of the boat. Um, the other is, you know, like a neoprene gravel guard is kind of the industry standard out there. So it's like, let's just not do that because that's, that's what the world expects us to do. And, uh, and like, and, and using that as an opportunity to innovate. And, um, what we, I, I think what we gained out of this was, you know, a, a more snag resistant, a more pick resistant gravel guard. It's not, obviously it's not impervious to like the world out there, but it, it it's better than I think what the industry, w- what you would expect from our peers out there 
Um, and then secondly, it's, it allows us to build it closer, closer, like we can build it closer to the boot. So it's a better boot to, to wider interface. And I think that helps just over the long haul, keep a lot of the, you know, like river gunk and, um, and, you know, just sand out of your boots. And it, the whole idea here is it's to, you know, to give you long life use of your, your stocking feet. Yeah, absolutely. And I do know, you know, saw, I think some of these at the shows and I was actually talking to uh, my buddy at TCO and, you know, they're, I guess, on the, on the cutting edge of getting some of the new waiter lines and now you're coming out with, you know, the Vectra and the Bedrock. And I was wondering if you guys could kind of tell us a little bit about kind of what the design differences are between, you know, those two lines and uh, the boundary. Yeah, I'll let Jim take it because Jim actually, like, like that was, you know, Jim's first round of waiters with us here was the, was the like first order of business was go design three waiters. Um, and, um, and it just, I think it also just speaks you know, he's been here two years and those waiters are just hitting retail now. So that, that's kind of the, that's kind of the runway, like to give you visibility into how long it takes to actually get something from an idea to, to in a consumer's hand. Yeah. And I, I would say that was still a fast time where, you know, <laughs> uh, it's it I, real quick on the, on, on that, on that timeline. Uh, element, you know, we, we do vary, um, from a, from a standard, you know, it depends on how, how far out projects are, you know, and, and if we're being asked, you know, I mean, if it's something that we can get there faster, um, you know, it, it can take 24 months, it can take 12 months, it can take nine months, um, 18, it just depends. So, you know, those, those, the vector and, and bedrock waiters for us, you know, we really wanted to take a step back. And think about, you know, if someone were to, if someone were familiar with the commercial fishing side of it, the, the, talking bedrock initially at first, or sorry, Vector, um, we wanted to approach it from, you know, the ingredients that make up the waiter. You know, design, don't get me wrong, love design. Um, but really, if you don't have a good base and a good foundation from the material and the laminate and really how you create that, it doesn't really matter you know, how, how many bells and whistles and whatnot you have. So we wanted to build something that was rugged and felt as if it were good enough to stand up on a commercial fishing boat, um, to give you that sense. So the vector, what we did was we, we kind of created this, uh, unique laminate, um, that we're really proud of and, and is really special. It gives you this really supple, softer hand, but it's a very dense puncture resistant, um, fabric and so if you were to think of it maybe from a let's just say like an apparel standpoint it's like buying that fresh pair of of jeans and versus having a worn pair of jeans and you're always going to go back to that worn so we wanted this we wanted to create this fabric package that felt like it was already broken in um which a lot of times when you go with those heavier more puncture more abrasion resistant materials they get really stiff fast and so um starting with that Again, we wanted to bake in the same DNA. So we we had we knew that um, we wanted the warming neoprene. We wanted the repairability. We wanted the same fit. Um, and then from there, it was really trying to figure out what what was the right level of feature benefit. Um, and you know, not creating stuff just to not creating features or pockets or details that you don't necessarily need. Um, and that's kind of the, how we work from both, um, the bedrock and the vector and when the unique element of it is I call them T-Rex arms, but almost all of the, 
all of the um, stocking foot waders out there have a horizontal zip, you know, to kind of access, you kind of have your dump pocket, but you go in and you're, you're, you're really looking at, all right, let me fish this out of the corner and let me get that. Um, and you kind of can get stuff lost in there. It's a great way to do it, but we thought about it a little bit differently and said, Hey, you have, you're wearing a jacket. Most jackets have a vertical zipper. Why not put a vertical zipper down the front? And in all honesty, it was pretty polarizing at first when we got it into the field testing. Um, and it was like, whoa, what is this? This looks really strange. And, and as you know, the industry, as far as fly fishing goes, it does move relatively slow. So, um, it was a little polarizing, but the idea was that, Hey, you have ambidextrous storage. You can go left, you can go right. You just have a straight vertical zip. You can store fly boxes, um, anything you need kind of in that center section. And we wanted to create that as part of the DNA element. And so, um, you know, hand warming pockets, we've got adjustability. We, we took the, we took the suspension system from our, um, some of our sport fishing bibs and we implemented that. So again, you have this, we're thinking about suspension differently, um, from a vector. So make sure that it's, it's comfortable, but, and then we also have these really low profile, um, knee pads in there because once you once you kind of wear it's kind of like wearing a zippered waiter once you wear a, a waiter with knee pads you kind of don't really want to go back and it's it's really it's less about kneeling on gravel um and and in your know, rocks and landing fish and it's also about getting in and out of boats and you know you know leaning up against a gunnel or something like that and really making sure that um you've got that and and we want our waiters i think in general Vector and bedrock, and I'll touch on bedrock real quick. Um, the idea is that these transcend beyond just fly fishing too. You know, I think that's one of the elements that um, makes our brand unique. And so we want to make sure that it's not just built for a river um, and it's not just built for fly fishing. And so the bedrock carries all of that same DNA, but does it in uh, a more you know, a really tried and true, uh, four layer laminate, um, as well. And, uh, it doesn't have the, I, I would say it's a, a great blend of the mobility, the comfort and the, um, breathability that you might find from the gore and having, uh, a little bit of that shared ruggedness from the vector and creating this really great value proposition and and really the bedrock's a first handshake for us you know and in, in viewing the product in that in that way of saying hey you know if someone's new to the brand they want to try us they don't necessarily you know want to invest in these different tiers or maybe they're not as rugged or they don't want the the premium features that are that show up in the Gore-Tex then this has to perform it has to be good on fleets it has to be good for rentals um you know it's the waiter that you know, shows up at a lodge and you've got 15 of them on the wall and it's just for people to, to wear if they don't bring them. Um, and we approach it that way. So similar kind of features, you know, as far as storage pockets go, not as, not as water resistant from a storage pocket standpoint, but, and no, no, um, knee pads. So it's a different type of use case, um, where the vector is really built for guides and rugged, you know, briar bust and I don't care about what I'm wearing. And then the, the bedrock is really built for, um, more of an all around 
uh, approach to, to angling and, um, you know, helping that, let's just say like more of a, a, a weekend warrior or a, um, you know, yeah, I'd say weekend warriors is probably a good one. What do you think, Curtis, for bedrock? I mean, it's really, it's a great waiter. I've been put at the, at these fly shows that we've been heading recently, I've, I've been positioning that as a 10 day, 10 day a year angler, you know, and I think there's a lot of people out there that really appreciate good gear. They, they, they have a million other hobbies, right? Like they might be playing golf. They might be like to, to, you know, might be surfing, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, but you know, fly fishing is something that they've just gotten into, or they do it when they, when they take their annual trip to Montana, or they do it when they, you know, get together with family on like, you know, like on, you know, on a, on a week at the lake or whatever. So, you know, and like, we wanted to, we wanted to kind of make the range approachable. So, so obviously, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's built for, it's built for hardcore use, but, but the total number of days that you will get out of a bedrock relative to a vector vector is built to be, you know, the, the 200 a year day guide, um, the ultimate in durability. We, we also take that vector chassis and we build a special model for, um, for rental fleets as well. So, if lodges, you know, like, and our, our, our primary customer, you know, that, that does the rental is, uh, a lot of, a lot of Alaska lodges, um, really will, will dive into a rental waiter program. Cause I think a lot of people, a lot of people like look at like, Hey, I want to go to Alaska fish and, and they end up, um, they may, the, they may be a great fly angler. They may kind of just have gotten into it and, and not, they don't have the gear and, you know, they, they've left the box store with their $129 pair of waders, or they've got an old pair of neoprene waders that they you know think work great. So you get to kind of the hardest environment on earth to go wait in. And, uh, um, and that, and Alaska rivers are brutal. I mean, I think like that's, and that's, that's a different kind of, it's a different frontier up there of like what you need to bring to the, to the party. If you're going to, if you're going to have a successful week at a lodge up there. Um, so yeah, we, we, we've been, we've had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, interest in a, in a rental program from us. And I think, you know, like shops are like retail shops are going to slowly get on board with that as well of like, Hey, we can, we can offer a really great experience for somebody that's coming to spend a day with us, you know, on a guided trip. And you, you, you know, I think a lot of people just show up with old gear and it's like, you know, Hey, today's a great day to try something new and you're going to, you're going to get better at casting. You're going to get better at fishing and you're, you might as well have a great experience doing it. Yeah, and I think the great thing too, not just for waiters, but is to have the gear get out of the way, right? Just like let you fish and, you know, not have a bad day because you're in swampy neoprenes or you've got old gear or, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I would love to just know that places that I wanted to travel to to fish had it so I didn't have to pack it and keep it, keep it up and spread it out and dry it all out when I got home. Yeah, there's nothing worse than flying home with wet waiters, like, and boots. Uh, it's, it's, um, it, it's a, it's a, you you have a great week but then you finish you ultimately want to get that last morning in before like you have to leave and um you you always end up packing a packing a wet pair of waders in a bag and everything's really gross when you get home but that that's that maybe that's the defining moment of a trip of like i i got every minute out of this that i could yeah i always take several uh, black trash bags with me for exactly that purpose there you go you know and and, and real quick on the i guess our ethos and design really behind that and, and our products in general it's a lot of people plan for the worst but we build for the worst and that's and that's really the approach and how we filter it through and and those waiters are a good example of of the evolution of that and i would say too you know looking at your products and talking to some of the guys in the booth in denver you know i can see the same thoughtfulness in the design process in your rain gear and your waiting boots 
Uh, and I was wondering if you guys wanted to kind of talk about a little bit of that, because I thought some of that stuff was incredibly neat, like the thought around, you know, like the double flaps on the zippers and things like that. So that, um, you know, it just shows kind of an understanding of what the elements will do and how they create problems for you when you're on the water. Yeah, absolutely. Curtis, why don't you take that one? Um, okay. I think you, you'll have a good bit to add there. Yeah. The, so the, the double storm flap, it's been a, I guess it's been somewhat of a non-negotiable design feature for us on on outerwear um it goes i guess it dates all the way back to the fact that our um our commercial jackets the the brig jacket was has been around since the 60s um and it's had a double storm flap on it since then and the belief is that you know like the our belief personally from not just making this up but from testing is that the only way to really keep somebody dry on the inside is to have a storm flap over a zipper it's um and you know like if you're if you're standing if you're standing in a river and it's raining, you can get away with an exposed zipper. You're, you're never going to notice the difference. But like when you take this thing kind of to the next level um, and you're running in an open console boat, you know, for our Gore-Tex outerwear line, um, if you're a guide running in a, in a jet sled in BC, Canada, um, or, you know, or anywhere that's raining hard and you've got, you've got motor driven rain, you're going to get wet to that zipper. So we, we, we take the design approach of saying our, our, our have to have in this jacket is a, is a storm flap. And then just, let's just do that in a very elegant way. So it doesn't get in, doesn't get in the way it's easy to access in and out of, and you might, you might not even know it's there. The only thing you'll know is that you're not wet. Um, and then with the, with the boot program, you know, like, you know, I, I, I guess we just really, we just, we just saw the insanity in the waiting boot world, like kind of like, like the leapfrogging of technology and price points that was going on was like kind of getting out of hand. Um, and you know, you, you sit around and you're like, what do, where do we want to be? And how do we want to define this brand within waiting? And, um, and I, you know, I, I guess I thought the way I thought through it, you know, from a, from a, Hey, what are we going to build here is, you know, like, like I, I, there like metal hardware was a have to have, there's going to be like no chance plastic hardware was going to make it anywhere in the, in the waiting boot line. Um, but it had to be corrosion resistant. And then, um, we just wanted to build a really well reinforced classic leather boot. And, um, and, you know, leather presents a set of problems in the river, you know, like old, old school leather boots shrink. And, you know, even leather boots from, from 10 years ago shrink. Um, so we went through, you know, the process of identifying a waterproof leather, um, that, that could be submerged in water and go through wet dry cycles, you know, like throughout the life of the boot and not, you know, not give you the, uh, uh, an experience of where that boot's going to shrink on you. Or you have to like oversize the boot with the whole idea that the first time you wear it, it's going to shrink up on you. Um, and then we partner with Vibram on the you know kind of midsole and outsole chassis, um, kind of lower like the lower unit on that boot is is all Vibram, and we we designed it to accept uh, you know our our hexa grip, uh, hexa grip stud and cleat pack. Um, so like basically just give you w- w- one solution to to completely stud that boot out for traction on like slippery rivers. So. Um, yeah, you know, I think if you, if you get a chance to look at our waiting boot, you'll notice that it's got a lot of like burly, um, burly rubber overlays on there that come out of the kind of the mountaineering and climbing world. Um, the leather on it's really nice. Like we, we overinvested in leather on there just to make sure you would have a, a good quality new buck that holds up for, you know, the life of the boot. And, um, even in the going as far as to taking all the hardware and embedding those on the, you know, basically the, the, the hardware attachment points are all internal in the boot. Um, so there's not, you know, rivets or, um, attachment points like on the inside of the boot that wear through your stocking foot faster. Um, 
so yeah, thoughtful design for sure on kind of how that executed. And, um, you know, and I think the other, the other thing is like, we really tune the way that boot flexes in the water. So like not, you know, not trying to build, you know, a, 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 a replica of what, what's already existed in the market from a, you know, from a very almost Herman Munster boot, if you will. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, it's, you know, the, the flex profile is, is, you know, is really well engineered into it. So I mean, the feedback that I've gotten from, um, from a lot of dealers and a lot of testers on it is it's the, it's the most comfortable boot to wait in because of the way that we, we engineer that the ball break of the foot and, um, engineering proprioception, which is basically your brain's ability to feel kind of what's under your foot in the river. Um, and it kind of just helps to, to drive the, just the natural balancing process that your, your, your body does. Yeah. It sounds like it would make for a better waiting experience. I mean, cause at least for me, like, I mean, I'm a big guy, so I wear a size 13. Right. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm Frankenstein when I'm in the water and I don't always feel like I have a really like it's not that I'm not in contact, but I don't feel like my feet are seeing like they would normally see if I was wearing another type, you know, another type of shoe and I wasn't in the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We need to get you a pair to test. Like, I think you'll like like that would it would be interesting to do a follow up to this podcast of like, like where are waiters and boots for for another like wear wear them for a, a season and like at the end of the summer come back and do a follow-up yeah it would be cool it's funny too because i was talking to your guys in denver and um about whether i'm an xl or an xl king because of the, your the way your suspension system works mm-hmm. um and you know had a long kind of philosophical conversation about like i'm a i, I layer on top of my wait, waiters because i want to capture that heat Right. Mm-hmm. I also don't want rain to like I don't I don't I mean, people can do whatever they want to, but I've never understood why you would wear a rain jacket underneath your waiter so that you were just catching all that water and letting it run down into your clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, but just trying to kind of um, you know, calibrate that out and think about like I fish anywhere from, you know, trout in the Carolinas, which both of you guys know is not like a super cold water jam, except for maybe two weeks in February. Um, you know, up to steelhead fishing, which is the coldest I ever am in my entire life. So yeah, the, and this, and we're we're closer to the steelhead, I guess, the world because that's you know that's home base for us out in the north in Pacific Northwest. And uh, for better or worse, our testing gets you know a lot of the testing gets done out on the Olympic Peninsula. I got a great picture of Jim wearing a, a jacket that's coming out next year, and um, it, you know, like you want it to you want it to fail on like the internal team first before it even makes it to a field tester. So like he had a. He had a pretty rough day with a leaky jacket that we, we made a lot of, we made, we had a lot of learnings out there, but it was, it was raining like two inches an hour. Um, and for sure, like one of the rainiest days I've ever been through on the OP. Um, and it, you just, there's just not enough pair. You don't have enough gloves in your backpack to make it through the day. And you're just, you're just like constantly rotating from like the, from the wet gloves to the wet, the less wet gloves that are somewhere in the bottom of the pack. And, um, and it just you you get to the end of the day and you're like Jim takes his jacket off and he's like wow look at this I've got stripes, um, and we uh, we ended up uh, we ended up making like an immediate design change that even you know that before these things even made it to like a sample that a rep gets and uh, something that we do kind of advanced field testing but but those learnings you know are are fun I I enjoy uh, especially when I'm the one that's not getting wet and um, and the designer is yeah it was that was a good one. Um, and you know, I mean, to that point, it's, it is, we have, to, it's failing fast, right? It's like, Hey, we just got this prototype in, let's go get it on the water. It was a monsoon. Um, 
And you know, within 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, well, this sucks. I've got another six hours of this. Like, let's, we'll, we'll figure it out, but glad we found out. It's not an exaggeration. It rained, it rained 12 inches of water that day out there. It was, I mean, like it, it that's, I, you, until you experience it, you can't like even comprehend because it almost sounds like a tall tale. Yeah. But you know, the amazing thing is, you know, Curtis, it sounds like you and I are maybe roughly the same vintage. You know, when I was coming through scouting in Virginia, like there was no Gore-Tex, right? The military had it, but you for sure didn't have it as a scout. I mean, yeah, the doctor's kids didn't even have it, right? So like it didn't exist. And, you know, the idea of like having those like super heavy hiking boots that you put the snowby uh, water sealing on. And, uh, you know, back then the Boy Scout way was to wear a pair of tube socks with a wool sock on top, you know, and I, like my boys complain now, I was like, guys, like you just have no idea how much better the materials and the gear are today than they were, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Oh yeah. I vividly remember going to like a, um, like a campery out on the, uh, it was in Virginia beach. And it was out on like, I want to say it was like Fort Story, kind of out like at the, the north end of Virginia Beach. Like we we drove up for that and it was a, it was a pretty, like those, those scout days were a miserable camp experience. I Like I feel bad for anybody that didn't like person, like there's probably a ton of kids that just never went camping because they, like this, the, their experience in scouting um, with mediocre gear was just like, wow, this sucks. But, um, but I made the commitment to my, like, to my family is like, we're going to have great gear. We're going to have a good time and we're going to overinvest in making sure everybody's warm and dry and comfortable when we're on the river. And, uh, um, and it's made a big, I think it's made a big difference for, you know, I've got three boys between one, the youngest turned eight today and the oldest is 14. And, uh, they, they don't know what it's like to, to go through, um, a, a rough night of camp in a, in a, you know, a cotton filled sleeping bag and being wet and cold because they've always had great gear. Um, and, and maybe maybe I'm starting to sound like a curmudgeon now. You can't stone no like what I <laughs> But I, I just don't want them to have to go through that because I I want I want the outdoors to be such a good experience for them. It's something that they they fall in love with and they want to do um, with with their kids down the road. Um, and, I, and and I guess maybe it's also selfish. I just don't want to hear them complain. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. It, it, you know, one of the interesting things is you know obviously you you know Grunage has moved into fly fishing, but I would say probably one of the interesting opportunities is your flying lures had become aware of all the other products that were in the Grundage universe. And I was kind of curious, you know, uh, what are the favorite kind of traditional Grundage products that have made their way uh, into the hands of fly fishermen they seem to really like and buy a lot? Well, well I, I think the notion of the fly angler is, is it, 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 it's somewhat manufactured by the industry. And, and, and I'll go down the road of like, Cause I think everybody like, and, and they and granted, I do get, there's people that are fly only like dry fly or die guys out there. And I, and I, I salute you. Um, but I, but I think the majority of the people out there are anglers first and they've found, they found a love of fly fishing because of its challenge or because of the unique kind of, you've arrived at an, you've arrived at a level of angling by fly fishing because it's, you know, it's going to test your skill as an angler. But ultimately I think everybody if presented with the opportunity to go, catch and harvest fish, um, they're going to do that. And, and, and I think, you know, like the opportunity to say, Hey, we're going to go on a tuna trip. We're going to go, um, you know, like we're, we're going to go and we're going to be in Alaska. We're going to go harvest halibut because I love to eat halibut and I'm up here and I get to fly home with like a hundred pounds of fish and it's going to be amazing. Um, so I do think that catch and consume angler, um, out there 
is really our core customer in a lot of ways. And, um, and, and they may be fly and, and that same, that same person, that same, you know, like they, they may, they may be swinging a barbless hook on a, you know, on a tube fly for steelhead one weekend. And, um, and, and also, you know, out like trolling for salmon in the, in the Columbia river. And, you know, and, and like we had a, we had an internal joke of like knowing when to bonk them. Um, and, and it's like, you know, when, when to keep a fish wet and to treat it like, you know, it's, it's like a revered species of like, Hey, we got to let this guy go and not, not, not hurt it at all because, you know, like it's, it's got to go spawn and it's got to go make baby fish so we can, you know, continue the cycle. And then when it's like, Hey, there's an abundance of food fish here and let's, you know, like this fresh salmon is going to provide protein for the family. We're going to, we're going to, this one's going to the table boys. Um, but, but I, and I guess I digress a little bit there. Um, I do think that like a lot of our, a lot of our PU and PVC is kind of how we got into sport fishing. Um, you know, like just like if you need blood and guts, impervious material, rubber pants are the only way to get it. And it's, you know, stain 100% stain proof. Um, the, the world's, the world's been talking a lot about PFAS in the last 18 months and it's going to talk even more about it in the next 12 and the next 24. Um, we we're the original kind of PFAS free brand with our um with our PVC and PU coated materials. They they haven't they've never had PFAS in them and they're they're also they don't rely on PFAS to keep, you know, for water beating performance. Um so that's that's a unique that's a unique thing, you know, like like the building gear that really is hose down rinsable and allow you to like go and process a fish or catch, you know, catch a nasty fish or actually use, you know, live bait like is kind of well they'll make your fancy bibs really gross really quick so we like we have we have both we have the really nice gore-tex for you we also have the the really basic uh pu coated stuff for you um and i and i do think and i think beyond like i would say that world um you know our uh our our tough sun solar series that that's that's launching here it, it actually it'll be available in 10 days um it's been the best pre-booked solar program that we have it's upf 50 you can get about five days out of it on the river without it starting to stink because of some performance finishing we use um it's the only sun shirt on the market with a with a 100 no questions asked lifetime guarantee um because we believe in the durability so much on it so um yeah it, there, there's a lot of stuff out there that's that's adjacent to our fly category that really resonates kind of on that next ring out of anglers that really are the broader community that we want to we want to like speak to yeah, and I really like your uh, your deck boots, right? I for, totally forgot deck boots. Yeah, and, and you're you're absolutely right. I, I probably should have led with deck boots because that that is the one. I mean, I think deck boots are deck boots are the pro, deck boots have become in vogue in a lot of ways. A lot of people just wear deck boots these days, and and I'll see them in the city a lot. Of like, wow, you know, like we we somehow found that customer right there, and didn't they would have never found us any other way other than searching for you know rubber ankle boots, and you know, like when you get to the details of why we beat the competition it, it turns into a sale we, but we do sell a lot of boots like our our boot businesses you know it started it started pretty like five years ago it was a tiny piece of the business it's it's grown to a significant business unit and would be a standalone business or brand on its own from the volume of boots that we do and it's pretty pretty rad to see like i mean I, i'm just happy because i know like every person that buys a boot from us is gonna have a better day on the water yeah, that that end of the day solution to me is always something I'm always trying to figure out. Like, you know, when you're in the parking lot in Montana and like you want to go and what's the quickest, fastest way and all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, love the boots. I've tried all kinds of different uh, solutions around that. And, um, you know, it's great to just be able to uh, it's important to get off the water and start drinking beer as quickly as possible. Right. There you go. 
Boat to bar. Boat to bar. It, it's a, uh, well, I think if you, if uh, do you ever fish the Madison river? I do. Well, we have a, we have, we actually have a new, um, well, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag yet. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to park that at that. Um, there's a, there's a product name and it's, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm oversharing. So I'll stop at that. Fair enough. But I'll, I'll make another pass at you. You've got, you've got sun shirts coming out here in the next 10 days. Any other things in your development pipeline you want to share with our listeners before I let you guys go? Yeah. Um, we have, a, we have a series of, of rainwear fly, fly jackets that integrate with the waders really well. Um, uh, even, you know, so the jacket's called the portal. Um, it's a portal cause it's like, you can, you can pass through to the, to the next level of warmth, um, achieve a higher level of, uh, of comfort out there. Um, but it also allows you like access. So the whole idea is this jacket is gore. It's got the dunkable cuffs from our, you know, from our buoy X line. Um, and our, you know, it's, it, we learned a lot of things with the gambler project for the professional bass anglers. And we kind of married the two of those up in a way that just really, uh, they, we took kind of the best of both of those jackets and we built perfect jacket for, you know, for somebody that's in the river. Um, so hundred percent waterproof, you'll get our, you know, our, our tried and true, uh, storm flap system, but then there's a pass through pocket inside of the hand warmer pocket to keep your hands warm. And that, and this was specifically what leaked on gym last year, 12 months ago was like, you know, getting that right was really detailed around like drainage and the right zipper in there and the right zipper angle for diverting water away. Um, and with all of our gore jackets, um, we, we have to send them to, uh, we send them to the rain room for, uh, an extreme and extended wet weather test. So they have to pass a, a standard of 22 inches an hour. It's something that like hunt and fish from gore have to, you know, like we have a higher level of, of, of test parameters than say an outdoor or so sport company hits. Um, so we, we hit the extreme and extended water, um, the, the rain room test on everything that we produce as Gore-Tex. Um, I mean, we learn a lot along the ways that, you know, they're, they're a, a massive development partner for us, you know, to, you know, to be able to walk out of a, a co-development between Grundens and Gore-Tex and say, you know, this jacket's guaranteed to keep you dry for the life of the garment. Um, that's a powerful statement to tell a consumer. Um, and we're really putting our money kind of where our mouth is on it. And, uh, but it, but, it, but I, you know, I, I'm comfortable saying that because I know the work that goes into the design and development of, of of the details and the nuance of, of the, you know, like the tiniest detail on that jacket is scrutinized. Yeah, absolutely. I'll throw in there the, we've got a, a good mid layer coming in hot as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good system coming in probably more obviously within the fall timeline, but you can expect that. And it's just a great layering piece, layering system that will keep it, keep you warm and comfortable without getting too bulky. Um, you know, that, that coupled with the portal is a, is a great day on the water. Yeah. Very, very neat. It's funny you say that. Cause I have, um, one of my favorite pieces is actually an REI down vest, but if you get wet, you're kind of screwed. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, good to see that there's some options coming out. And I guess, you know, we're probably roughly depending on where you are about halfway through show season, you know, Curtis, are you guys going to be kind of still uh, racking up the frequent flyer miles hitting the shows as we kind of come into the home stretch of March? Yeah, it's been it's been really fun. Um, I, you know, like we have we've been trying to divide and conquer as a team, um, not only from a not to try to grind any one of us to to a pulp throughout like January, February, March, um, but also just to give other other teammates the ability to go and and interact with consumers, because I think that that like those shows, the most 
the, the reason that we're there. I mean, I, I think uh, if, if you're showing up there as a brand to, to try to push a product to a customer, you're, you're there for the wrong reason. And um, my, my, my wholehearted belief is like, we're there to talk to our customer and to learn. Um, and we do that through obviously like what looks like a, a retail environment, but it, like, it's pretty interesting. Like we don't transact at that show. We don't sell it. We, we don't sell a single thing. We give away stickers. We give away hats. We give away advice. Um, and we're happy to like kind of partner with dealers there. So, you know, like you mentioned TCO, like TCO is a great partner up at the Edison show. Um, you know, in, in Denver, we had Blue Quill, we had Ed's that were both selling waiters, uh, in the Atlanta show. I didn't personally make the Atlanta show, but Kristen, our, uh, waiter developer did along with our sales crew and Fishhawk, Alpharetta and Davidson all had booze there and they were all selling waiters. It was, and it, it's great to see, it's great to see how, how, like, I also love the fact that like, you've got, you've got everybody in one room and you get a really, as a consumer, when you go to these fly shows, they're super valuable because if, if I was going to go buy a waiter. I want to be able to go hit everybody and understand like who's going to support me as a customer, who's going to support me as like, as like I'm, if I'm walking up to you with $900 to spend on a pair of waiters, that's gotta, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of money. That's a whole, I mean, even like we're all fairly advanced in our careers and like uh, none of us are wealthy, but none of us are like, we're not, we're not struggling anymore at this point in, in our lives. But a $900 purchase is a lot for me. And it's a considered thing. And it's something that I'm going to go to, like, I'm going to do my research and I want to, I want to know what I'm getting. And I want to know the customers, the company is going to stand behind me as a customer. Um, and we show up to these shows to, to really say, Hey, we're new to this. I know you may not know who we are. Um, or you may think of us as the, you know, the orange bib brand out there, but, but it, you know, it was a, it was a really impactful consumer interaction. I mean, there are hundreds of customers I talked to personally. And it kind of went through this whole process that we've gone through here in the last hour or so around like why we do what we do and how we do it differently. Um, and then I think, you know, like the feedback that I've gotten from our dealers is like, they're really appreciating the effort that, that, that we put forth at those shows. So, um, those shows will be a big part of our strategy going forward. You know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a chance to engage your customer at, at, at a one-on-one -on -one conversation and learn something, you know? And I think like the moment you stop learning in this job, um, the moment that you, like, you're either, you're either growing or you're dying. And like, we're, um, we're here as a, you know, as an entire organization to go like, to listen to the customers. Yeah. I would tell you from a consumer, uh, perspective. And I mean, I know I live in a weird place as a fly fishing consumer, cause I've done other stuff in the industry, but it's very compelling to me when you see a new brand and you talk to someone and it's not like, Hey, this is our high end, medium end and low end waiter this, this, and this, it's like, here are the problems we solved. And let me show you. And this is like, I see you, this is your size. Like you would be an XL King or maybe an XL. It depends. And you literally walk through all of these features and you're like, for me as a consumer, you take that away and you're like, holy shit, these guys have like really thought about this a lot. Right. And I think to make that investment, that makes it a whole lot easier, at least from my perspective, when you have that kind of interaction and feedback. But, and that, that was what we're, that was what we're going for. You know, I think it, it wasn't accidental to show up there kind of with that approach to waiters, it's, you know, it's, you know, it, it's a, we've got a great, you know, Ben, our VP of sales and I, um, work really closely together all in on the marketing side of things. Um, we all were really well aligned going into this thing around, you know, like supporting retail, engaging consumers, giving away a hat. Um, and you know, it's hard to, it's hard to put a, you know, and, and like, it, it's pretty interesting too, you know, like the, the other, you know, like, in the digital world, um, the 
the marketing is is very different these days. You know, in, in the digital world, you spend a lot of money to to engage a customer, and yeah, you, I mean, you can spend between six and eight dollars to have somebody land on your website for you know for ninety seconds maybe, and the you know the 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 return on investment on that that spend. Like, I mean, obviously there's, there's guys that's just full-time job to track those metrics and, you know, return on ad spend, return on investment of, uh, you know, of, of digital activations and things like that. You know, like I, our approach on this one, you know, was like, Hey, let's, let's just go analog and, um, let's, let's give a hat away. And that hat's going to cost us roughly $6. And that's less than what I would pay to, to engage a customer as, you know, as a brand to get somebody to go to our website and spend, you know, whatever amount of time they're going to spend there. And I think that, I think in the long run, it's going to pay off from a, from a, like, yeah, I mean, that, that the cappy hour process that's going on across the country is a massive spend for us. Like we're, I mean, we're with like, um, but at the end of the day, I think it's going to be that it's, it, you, you have a qualified customer that's standing at your booth and they're interested in who you are and what you do. And like, there's no, there's no better way to take somebody for 30 seconds while that press, that press cooks and say, this is what we do. We're, you know, we're anglers, you're angler too. And like, this is, this is why we do the things that we do. And, um, it, it's for sure the long run investment for us, like in those shows. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Cause I think, and we could do an entirely different show. So I will stop after I say this. I think that analog approach and kind of this new AI digital noise world is going to become more and more powerful. Absolutely. It's a human, it's the human element, right? It's like, let's be humans and let's, Let's talk. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy, but I think that's going to be the superpower, right? Mm-hmm. It, it will. I mean, uh, digital, digital devices are the new smoking. And, and it's, and I think we're going to see the consumer, uh, recoil back from that. And, you know, it may, it may take five years. It may take 10 years. I, I already see it with my kids, you know, like, you know, like the, the, the just the anti-social media, like that, that the younger generation is engaging. And if you're building a brand around social media engagement, like, like right now today, you better be figuring something out for the future or else you're, you're, you're going to, you know, that that's from my seat. I think that's the, that's the, the losing battle over the long haul. It's paying dividends now, but, um, if you're trying to set this thing up for long haul, it's, it, you know, it, it's really these, it's really these kind of moments of moments that matter with the customer and, um, I don't, and if we could have poured beers at those shows, we would have, you know, I think that that, you know, like you're a little bit handcuffed with the, like with the, the exhibition center there wants to sell you a $9 beer. Um, and, uh, and if we could, if we could have given away a beer and a hat, I think that that's like the kind of the most core that an angler, like, like what angler doesn't need a beer or a hat. And you, both of those things kind of go hand in hand with fishing. Yeah, absolutely. We'll put this to the side. Maybe I have to do a marketing or digital media series. We can come back and talk about some of this stuff because it's it's one of my obsessions in podcasting about how to be authentic and respect your listeners. And I think it it flows through with whatever you're selling, right? And I think it's um, and I'm kind of a weirdo, so I'm a Gen Xer. So I live in a world where I love technology, but I didn't have it around all the time. And so I have a very different kind of thought process around it. And uh you know, Curtis, to your point, it's interesting watching my kids navigate this. And, you know, I've literally seen them when they were little sitting on a sofa texting with the person that was sitting next to them. And I was like, guys, this is crazy. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, the, yeah. They're uh, like, I, mine are a little younger. My oldest is 14. But, um, but I, there is a, there is a time where they all sit in the corner of a room together playing Minecraft together on separate tablets, but faced, I, I'm like, guys, it's, 
I mean, I guess for me, like it was battleship, right? Like when you got electronic battleship, you were like, you were like, like that was the, that was the moment you had arrived as a, as a, um, as a, you know, as a gamer in the eighties. Yeah. Well, that that's even before you get to old school dungeons and dragons, but you know, we could talk about like risk and stratego. Oh yeah. Uh, Stratego. Oh man. Sign me up. And monopoly. But, uh, I'll I'll pull us back from dropping into this rat hole. Um, <laughs> maybe we can continue the conversation some other time. You know, guys, what's the best way? Um, you know, so check show circuit. You guys are going to be, I'm sure, doing the rest of the Ferensky shows. I would imagine you might be at some regional shows as well. You know, what's the best way in addition to that for people to kind of follow what's going on at Grundens and kind of stay in the loop? Well, I, I'm a big advocate that our retailers are the best way to find out what we're doing. Um, I. And and I say that, and I probably will get called out for the statement. Um, uh, but I do think that, you know, I, I do think that like a brand's uh, a brand's digital reach, you know, as a as a as a retailer, only goes so far, and especially in equipment when it comes to fishing. Um, I think you know, like fly shops are the core of the community in this market, and and if you like, if I want to go buy a new rod, I'm you know, I think you've got to walk into a fly shop. You've got to be able to cast it. And I think this, there's no difference for like trying on gear or trying on a pair of waders. The fit of a waiter is such a nuanced, like it's, it's like buying, it's the nicest suit you own in your closet. Like I don't, I don't, I don't own, I don't own a suit that's $900. It's just, I mean, I have a blazer. That's kind of like the extent of it. But, um, but I, but I do think that the, you know, the level of, the level of of service that you get out of walking into a shop to try something on and be able to experience that and and then just to be able to get the knowledge of like where to go fish as an angler the the fly shop is still the cornerstone and i think it's what makes fly fishing so unique is the reliance on on brick and mortar retail um we you know like we have we have a dealer locator on our website to be to enable you to go find our waiters um you know kind of, you know like i guess you know if your listeners are primarily southeast based um you know the atlanta market would be um uh, Fishhawk, Alpharetta, Davidson River, kind of up in up in the Asheville, Pisgah area. Like those those guys have bought into our program deeply, and uh, and I you know I would encourage you guys to go to go spend time to go at that shop because they're all really good people. Um, and I think you know like when I when I in my experience there too is you know like just like even as a vendor to those guys um, when you I was at that I was at that Davidson River event and uh, um, you know we're talking to customers there, but the next day like Kevin. Kevin Howell was like, Hey man, like go fish, go fish our water. You should go check it out. And just the ability to like go and give you like, like they have like such special experiences that are, that are attached there that like, if you, if you go and get the, you know, like get their, their pay their day fee, go fish their water. It's a, it's a really beautiful piece of water that flows through Pisgah. And like those kind of things are really amazing to me. It's like, like you don't, you don't really get that in, you know, in like the large box experience of fishing. Yeah. Kevin does an, a phenomenally good job. And I think his private water is awesome. And it's not like some of the zoo water in North Georgia. Um, and then I would say my, my insider secret when I go over there fish is uh, you owe it to yourself to go to, uh, the Sierra Nevada brewery and, uh, sit outside and enjoy some beers and some food. That's a really cool way to do it's it. It's a great spot. We might've done that three or four times on that trip. It was, it was, <laughs> it, it is pretty cool though. Cause they do have, they do have beers that you can't get, you know, mm-hmm. Sierra Nevada is like kind of nationwide now. Um, I was really impressed with the, you know, I grew, I live in Bend, Oregon. We, we're like kind of West coast beer capital out here. I was super impressed with like how Asheville has kind of grown up since I was, you know, I was going there in college to mountain bike a lot. Um, the beer culture is so 
unique and so good. Like if I, if I had to pick a city to live in on the East Coast, it would be hands down Asheville in a minute. Um, there's not a, if I told my wife we're moving to Baltimore, um, I'm probably I'm probably quickly getting served divorce papers. Um, but uh, but Asheville I think is a really rad town, and and we we went through there with family this past, past summer, and she was like, wow, I can't believe like how cool this place is now. And uh, the restaurant it's got a vibrant restaurant scene. It's got a maybe I'm sounding like I'm pitching Asheville more than my waiters. But uh, um, but uh, but it, it it is a really cool place, and I think it's like if you're an angler and you live on the West Coast, it's worth a trip out there because I think it's such a unique fishery, and you know, take the three weight and go fish dries on some you know brook trout water, or um, or if you go on Kevin's water, you better be packing a six weight. There's some bruisers in there. Um, yeah, good smallmouth and good musky too. I would also say we'll do we'll I'll this will be my last Asheville pitch. Um, another thing to do is if you uh, if you like live music, if you can. Uh, do uh fly fishing a show with the orange peel and you can eat dinner before at uh, wicked weed which is just across the street that's a pretty uh pretty good way to spend a few days too oh yeah wicked weeds beers are amazing they're, i mean they like they're like uh, that was probably one of the more impressive breweries i walked into just like good food kid friendly great beer yeah so i spot I think we we've got that figured out and I know we've kind of uh we've kind of uh, dissed a little bit on social media but I would imagine that you probably do you know you can throw out your URL I'll drop it in the show notes but I would imagine you're probably on Instagram and a few other places too. Yeah, but uh, I mean I'm my name's Curtis Graves uh, like at Curtis Graves on Insta. Um and and Grunnitz, you know Grunnitz has a you know we do have a social presence. I I mean I guess like it does it see it as more about inspiration inspiring people to, you know our our brand is about inspiring people to go fish. And providing kind of updates to folks on, you know, new product intros. Um, you know, I think, you know, like, and we obviously run a, like we run a, you know, business like, like direct to consumer too. But I, I mean, I intentionally, the, when you said the best place to try on waiters, I do think that the, I do think that the, um, that the, the regional, your local fly shop is the spot of, you know, like you're going to get the best fitting experience. You're going to get, you're, you're going to have somebody to, um, to like, like when there's a problem, you gotta, you've got to, an accountable person to go back to and say, Hey, like, and we're here to, you know, like we obviously have a, a really robust warranty program. Um, our warranty center is not far from Asheville. It's an old fort. Um, pretty, pretty unique, uh, uh, for another show, but the, but the investment that's going into American made textiles and, um, and American made cut and sew apparel again at old forts, really, really interesting that the, um, uh, the state of North Carolina and, and the city of old fort have put a lot of, um, a lot of dollars behind trying to bring, bring back kind of the craftsmanship of apparel making in America there. And it's, um, it's getting off the ground, but I, I mean, I would, I would speculate in, you know, in the next five to 10 years, your, you know, old Fort's going to be a, a household name within, um, within the outdoor industry. Yeah. Which is very neat. And for listeners that don't know, you know, in addition to having a vibrant furniture industry, uh, you know, the North Carolina has been known for having a very, very strong uh, textile industry, which obviously, has really suffered with globalization. But, you know, to your point, uh, people have either been trying to resuscitate the industry or repurpose the buildings and the facilities. So that's kind of an interesting part of uh, the Tar Heel State. Yeah, and NC State's got the, you know, like North Carolina State has the best, hands down the best textile, um, you know, continuing education, um, you know, undergraduate and bachelor's degrees or under and, and master's degrees in textile engineering. Um some of the best people in the industry that I know that are like at the top of their game in textiles have um, either gotten a degree from NC State or have gone back for for continuing education programs. Um, 
and it's you know, it, and it's it's sponsored heavy by Cotton Incorporated. You know, a lot of dollars. Like you, 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 it takes philanthropy to have a program like what those guys have, and Cotton Inc. has done a a really good job of supporting them. Um, but the but but they do get out into technical textiles as well, and and, and myself, our materials team materials team you know at competitors that we've talked about all have spent time at those at those uh at, at kind of in continuing education courses there and it's really cool to walk into a it's really cool to walk into a class as a competitor and not know who's going to show up and there's you know there's a you know there's a person from black diamond there there's a person from sims that that's that's across the table from you and you you go through this as you know like you realize at the end of the day that nobody really none of us have this figured out, right? Like we're all constantly learning, um, uh, what, what's happening and, and how to, like, how to, how to get an edge up on the competition through material science. And the best way to do that is go educate yourself. Um, and it's, it's pretty rad. Um, it, we're a small, it's a very small industry. Yeah. It's the niche of the niche of the niche. And, you know, guys, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your work day. And Curtis, I super appreciate you you know, getting online with me at eight o'clock in the morning, kids or no kids. Um, I, I appreciate it. And I've been really looking forward to this interview for a while and, um, uh, you know, look forward to our paths crossing uh, at shows and hopefully on the water sometime soon. Have a great rest of your day and um, tight lines. Absolutely. You too. Thanks, Marvin. Thank you for having us on. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend. And please subscribe and leave us a rating or review in the podcatcher of your choice. And don't forget to head over to www.nor-vice.com to check out Norvice's show schedule and all of their great products. Tight lines, everybody.